my wife is on vacation with Gregory's wife. And we didn't need to say anything when we saw each other this morning. There was just this look of, huh, never again. I don't know how it went for you, Gregory. Uh, I found out on Friday that there was no school for my kids. That was, that was good news. One of them had an ear infection. The other one had uh, some cold. I had some kind of flu thing. So it's going to be a really good, encouraging, inspiring message today. Uh, you get cabin fever really, really quickly uh, in our house. We've got a small little A-frame in St. Charles. It's really cold. We put double glazing, but it's still really chilly. Saturday, I thought, I'm going to do something that my kids are going to love. They're going to stop fighting. I'm going to stop complaining. Uh, they're going to think I'm great. And typically around fall time, one of my favorite things to do, we have three little dogs. Take them out for a walk on Leroy Oaks Forest Preserve. It's in St. Charles. So you get three little chihuahuas, three energetic kids, and they kind of run around. It's two miles. They run most of it. So the plan is always works really well. I'm kind of uh, walking slower with Shelley at the back. We're having an adult conversation for the first time in a long time. Kids and dogs are getting exhausted. And everyone gets in the car and says, that, that was, that's good. God is good. Life is good. So I tried to recreate it on Saturday. Uh, I drove up where I normally drive the car down to. It said closed for winter, December to March. That should have been a clue. Uh, but I parked the car. We started to walk. We did the shorter version of just a mile and a half. It was solid ice the entire way around. Li- literally, there wasn't any uh, dry ground or earthy ground. Uh, it was rugged. The dogs were running off. My kids, I can't tell you how many times they fell over. Sienna, bless her little heart, she's <laughs> uh, Big bruise in the back of her leg from falling down really hard. That was about a third of the way in. She'd had enough about a third of the way in. But we had to kind of walk around. Now, normally, it's fun. You can run. You can do stuff. We were all kind of sliding along like that, trying to go on the snow, and it was awful. And that reminded me. (laughs) I'm going to use it as a sermon illustration. If I get anything from this time, apart from misery, it's going to be a sermon illustration. And I'm not sure how I'm going to relate it. No, uh, the Apostle John is saying you need to build your life on who God is. Jesus is God's selfie. He is light. He is love. He is life. And he's writing to the church saying, build your life on him. If you build your life on him, it's like a really, really secure foundation. Life will be adventurous. It will be exhilarating. If you do not build your life on Christ, it's just going to get really kind of slippery. You might giggle a little bit at first, but soon there's crying, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So he's writing to the church uh, in the Mediterranean. In the church in the Mediterranean, a heresy has infiltrated. It's a heresy a bit like Scientology. Uh, It says that there's no sin, but there's actually ignorance. And you get different levels of knowledge, frees you from certain levels of ignorance. And they're also saying another heresy about Christ. They're saying he wasn't really God. He was just a kind of a good man. Maybe, if anything, God's spirit was on him for a little bit, but he was just a demigod. And this is lethal. Like it was spreading through the church like gangrene. So John is addressing that. But he addresses it in very, very positive terms. Instead of saying, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that. 
the whole of the letter of 1 John is, it is this, that Jesus is God. If you've seen Jesus, you have seen the one true God. We learned the first couple of weeks, it says God is light. To anything that's good in life, if you want to see your way, anything that's wholesome and pure, God is light. And our role as followers of Christ is just to reflect that light. It's not to be perfect. Christ is perfect. But we should try to walk in the light. Now, we've gone through a couple more chapters where it's saying God is love. We found out just how much God loves us. He said, we know what love is because God first loved us. He talks about the God that we read about in Revelation, the king of kings coming and walking among us and not just having time for people, but being willing to die for people, to lay down his life for people that didn't even recognize who he was. He spat at, he was mocked, and he still chose to die. And so John has been writing saying, look, this is love. God is love. It's no selfish love. It's a deep abiding love. Uh, We're in chapter 5 now. We're going to wrap up the letter, and then we're going to do a conclusion. So the first uh, half is God is light. Second half of the letter is God is love. Chapter 5. As another L in there. The, the new pastors like to preach with alliteration over three things. It's God is life. We're going to find out that God is life today. Uh, last week we looked at over, uh, overcoming spiritual ADD, which is overcoming assurance deficit disorder. And the message in there was we have everlasting life through Christ. The more time we spend in God's presence, the more our assurance goes up. Like, we know God is love. We know that we're beloved. We know that we're forgiven. But the less time we spend with God, our assurance levels go down. But now we're going to find out that God, Jesus, is life. So will you bow your heads as I open us in prayer? Father God, give us the minds to understand your word today. Thank you that we have so many copies of your scriptures, Lord, even in each of our own homes. We know that there's places around the world where they do not have your word. They have bits of the Bible. Well, Lord, they treasure it. They know it's, it's the word from the uncreated creator. So help us to treasure your word as well. It's not just something that we understand, but Lord, it's something that we take into our hearts. We believe it, believe it deeply, and we live our lives accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to imagine someone that has had a very, very positive influence on your life, maybe a grandparent or something. I want you to imagine 100 years from now, maybe 50 actually, 50 years from now, people are speaking about that person that you dearly loved as if they knew them. And they're saying stuff about that person that bears no resemblance to the person you really, really knew, the one who you'd lived your life with. I'm sure we can kind of guess what some of our responses are. Uh, John, having been in the transforming presence of God's love for so long, lovingly writes to the church, where there are people that are saying Jesus is kind of a fake. John is like, no, he walked with Jesus. He had the Last Supper with Jesus. 
He was with Jesus on the cross and said he'd look after Mary. He was there at the open tomb. He was there when Jesus uh, called the disciples to the shore and built a fire and fed them fish. He inherently knows who God is. He has this authority to teach. But all throughout the letter of 1 John, you'll see he uses in humility the word we. Now, sometimes it means the apostles. So like, I've seen it, we've seen it with our eyes, uh, we've touched it with our hands. But also we means like the family of God. Throughout this letter, he calls people who put their faith and trust in Christ as children of God. He says like, beloved, dear children. And he uses this word we a great deal. Now in love, listen to how he uh, corrects this false view uh, that Jesus was not the way to everlasting life. So I'm going to read chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. As I'm reading these, uh, we're renting this building. We're going to get our own home at some point this year. The slides are really unhelpful in here. Apologies for that. You'll need your Bible or a Bible app to follow the scripture along with me. I'm going to read chapter 5, verses 1 through to 12. And listen out as I'm reading those verses. Listen out that Jesus has overcome the world. Then also listen out for what proof does Jesus, um, does John offer that Jesus is life? Do you follow along with me? It's 1 John 5, verses 1 to 12. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is the love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit, it, uh, because Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it's a testimony of God, which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar, because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The first few verses up to the end of chapter 5, you'll see the word overcome used three times. You'll also hear the word victory. Now, we know through celebrating communion, having the privilege of having uh, the God's word with us, the New Testament, we know what that means. That when Jesus died on the cross, he took the full penalty our sins deserved. 
And so if we accept Jesus as our Lord, which means we're going to live for him now, not ourselves. If we accept him as our Savior, we acknowledge that his dying on the cross was enough to take the punishments for all sins forever. If we do those things, it says we become a child of God. You have the Son of God. You have life. But there's still this word overcome. So he's overcome death. He's overcome the problem of our sin. But when he's talking about overcoming, it means that there's still something to overcome. It's very similar to what he said at the Last Supper in John 16, 33. He's been saying to them that he's going to have to go away. He's saying to them, you're going to be hated by the world. He says, you're with me uh, as one of my disciples. The world is going to be out to get you. He says this, he says in uh, verse 33, John 16, so directly said to John, which John then writes to the early church, which we get, says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So there's something to overcome. The penalty of sin has been paid for in Christ's death on the cross. The power of sin in our lives goes when God as himself, Holy Spirit, comes to live within us. But the presence of sin is always all around us. And if we stay in the presence of the world long enough, and we're called to be in the world, you start to forget that you're free from the power of sin. It might be a certain sin that we're struggling with. Maybe it's a circumstance. There's many things that Jesus knew that his disciples would face. There's many things that John knows that the church would face, and by extension, us. And there are things that need to be overcome. Maybe something is illegitimately holding you down. Maybe something illegitimately seems to have ownership on your life. You can't get rid of it. It's holding you hostage. What Jesus is saying to his disciples and what John is saying to believers and to us, he says, Jesus has overcome the world. Like whatever situation you are in, whatever it is that you need to overcome, it does not have the last say on our lives. See that vision he had of Jesus in Revelation? Jesus gloriously saying, you know, I'm the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. I have overcome death. He is life. So whatever we have now in the presence of sin, in the presence of difficulty, you may be in a situation that looks insurmountable. Apostle John is saying, Jesus told me that you can overcome the world. Whatever you're facing doesn't have the last say in your life. Jesus does. Uh, To have faith in Jesus, quickly look at verse 1. It says here, everyone who believes that Jesus is the, is the Christ is born of God. Now, this isn't a kind of, uh, <laughs> English phrase is willy-nilly. There, you can write that down in your books if you write anything down. Willy-nilly. Willy-nilly means uh, <laughs> not very strong. Like, it does not have good foundations. So you can kind of believe in something. But there's a wholehearted belief where your life looks different because you believe in it. So I believe exercise is good. If I really believed exercise was really good, I'd probably do a lot more of it. 
And G- uh, John is saying, if you really believe in Jesus, it's going to have this whole body impact. It says you are born of God. And it's talking about a wholehearted faith. And this wholehearted faith is what helps us overcome the world. You want to think of a high jump, my least favorite. I did track and field as a kid. The thing I could never do was high jump. Apparently, there's a thing called the Frosbury flop. So you run up at a certain pace. You push down. I've got a limp, so the whole propulsion's not very good. You push down with all your strength and all of your energy, and you try and twist your body in a certain way so you can overcome the pole. I would just get the giggles every time, and it was just horrific. But I'm going to use the example of high jump and then pole vault. When I use the example of high jump, let's just pretend that you can jump over the bar, unlike myself. So the person running at something to overcome, they have to overcome the bar. And with all of their practice and energy and might, they might just get over it. They might nick it with a heel. You see it in the Olympics all the time. The bar might wobble, but they've overcome it. We can overcome a lot in this world. You see it all around you, people with perseverance, with grit, We can overcome a lot. That's really different than what it's like to be a pole vaulter. Faith in Jesus is like running with the pole in pole vaulting. And if you've seen pole vaulting, and if you imagine yourself as being good at it, you take a long run up with a very long pole. And just as you get to the bar, instead of using all the propulsion in your legs and trying to twist a certain way, you stick the pole in the ground. It's a secure hole in the ground. You bend the pole, and then it catapults you over the bar. Like the best high jumper does eight foot. Good pole jumpers go 18 feet. So what we're saying here, John is saying, you can overcome whatever's happening in your life. Like faith, real faith in Jesus is like that pole and a pole vault. And she's saying, don't forget this. You're going to have trials. You're going to have troubles. But Jesus has overcome the world. Keep believing in him in the face of what seems like the insanity of it. Like true faith sometimes doesn't make rational sense. I'm not asking you to throw your head out the window. I'm not asking you to ignore intellect. None of those things. But from time to time, God asks us to do something that doesn't seem to make sense. Think of Abraham and Isaac. Noah, he must have felt like an idiot building that boat. Oh, really, Noah? Why are you doing that? God has said so. There's going to be a big flood. Of course there is, Noah. God asks us from time to time to do something that doesn't always make rational sense. But God always overcomes it. So I'm not sure what it is you're facing in your life at the moment, whether it's a situation or something ingrained. Just hang in there. You will be propelled and you will overcome it. It does not have the last say-so in your life. Jesus has the last word or the last couple of words. When we meet God face-to-face in the fullness of time, he'll go, he or she is with me. All of those things that we've struggled with, all of those insurmountable problems will mean nothing. Jesus said, this is my child. Jesus has the last say on our lives. Faith in Jesus overcomes the world. And the proof 
that we have for faith in Jesus overcomes the world. Uh, John uses two things. One, he pulls the apostle card. The apostle card for him is, hey, I lived with Jesus. If you go back to chapter one, the very beginning, it's like that which was from the beginning, that which we've heard, we've seen with our eyes, we've looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. He's saying, Jesus is life because I've been there. I am an apostle. And we see him claiming that authority. It's in verse 9. Normally, we means the family of God. And he's saying here in verse 9, we accept human testimony, as in uh, believers, but God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God which is given about his son. God did two different forms of testimony. One with the apostles. They lived with Jesus. They saw him incarnated. God became man. They saw his miracles. They were listening to his sermon on the mount. They saw him arrested. They saw him crucified. And they saw him raised from the dead. That is one testimony. The second testimony is kind of God says so. So God is saying, this is my son. This is my son. The people that say they they understand who Jesus is, and they're taking your money, and they're saying there's no such thing as sin. He's already said, like, those are the anti-Messiahs. They're like antichrists. They lead you away from him. God, fully trustworthy, the epitome of love gives his testimony. So here there's some different language. It says by water and by blood and the spirit who testifies. There's a few different interpretations on this. I'm going to go for the orthodox main one. Some people will say the use of the word blood means you can pray Jesus' blood over people and they'll be healed. That's not actually what this text means. We can pray to God and he will answer our prayers when we pray like God would like us to pray. We're able to pray to God like that because Jesus died for us. But like invoking the blood is not some superstitious thing that we just add on and then suddenly it works. But what it means here is that Jesus died on the cross. And theologians will tell you when Jesus is hanging on the cross, that is the most perfect view of God is love that you will ever see. The holiest of holies. Like you can't even have enough superlatives in the English language to describe him. And he's there taking all of the honor and praise belongs to him. And he takes the exact opposite. And that depth is God's love. That height difference is God's love. So it's saying God, blood means on the cross. That's when you see God. Now think of the baptism. Jesus is saying, John's saying, one greater than me is coming. John's giving this testimony. Jesus says, I am him. So Jesus gives a testimony. He comes, get baptized. He doesn't need forgiveness, but he's associating with the sinners, saying, I'm with them, not with the religious people. He comes up out of the water. A dove representing the Holy Spirit lands upon him. So Jesus has given the testimony, the Holy Spirit has given the testimony, and then God the Father gives a testimony. He says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. 
So John is saying, faith in Jesus overcomes the world. Believe me as an apostle, and guess what? God confirms it as well. So Jesus is life. As a new Christian in 2003, I guess, oh, I missed my... I missed my 16th Christian birthday. Uh, this John 5, 1 John 5, 11 to 12 was one of my memory verses. As a brand spanking new believer, I needed to know I was forgiven. And at times, I think, I, ca- I can't earn this forgiveness. Like, is it really real? And faith in God is based on authoritative testimony. It's based on the inerrancy of Scripture, the historical trustworthiness of the Gospels. But John here, he writes super clearly, and he knew Jesus. He says this, and this is a testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Eternal life, yes, it is a future destination, but it starts the moment we believe. We cannot earn it, but we can receive it. And eternal life is life in its fullness. We're invited into this love relationship with God. So earlier on in the letter, it says God is love. Like love needs to be in the context of a relationship to exist. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is love. And we get that relationship now as a down payment. The Holy Spirit is living within us. Scripture says we're a child of God, not just made in his image. We're now a child of God. But the full richness of that relationship will come when we meet God face to face. But friends, I promise you this. There is a lot more nourishment and enrichment from our relationship with God that we can get. I think too often we settle for chewing gum instead of the delicious meal that God has for us in a relationship with him. I was at roller skating last night. You see, I spent a lot of money entertaining my kids. Uh, you could see some people having the most tremendous fun. I didn't roller skate because I'm wiser than that. Um, and I was watching people roller skating, and you see people loving life. You see kids with their parents, people on a date. Why you'd go on a date and roller skate when you could look like an idiot is beyond me. Um, but they were loving themselves. I was thinking there's just this depth of relationship. There's this joy There's this passion. And I was reminded that you really feel loved. Think of the person that's most loved you in your life. They're really present for you. And they're not going to be perfect, but they tell you they love you. And it changes us when we fall in love. You fall in love with a a, a spouse, (laughs) a girlfriend who then becomes your spouse. Fall in love. I fell in love with Shelley and it changed me. Uh, If you become a parent... And you see your first child, you think, I can't be a jerk anymore. I knew someone who I'd ministered to, a dear friend, a heroin addict, and it kept seeing him in jail and problem after problem. The amount of times we took him into ER to be detoxed, and then he'd relapse again. You know what changed him? He became a dad. As soon as he held his son in his arms, it's like, that life is gone. So see how relationship can change us. There's so much more to our relationship with God that we can get, so much more nourishment that we can get. He is ever-present. He's with you even now. 
if we just quieten things down, we'll understand that he's even probably speaking to us in a still, small voice in our head. He's saying, beloved, I am love and you are my child. Whatever you're facing in the world doesn't have the last say. You're my child. I have the last say. And I've made everything, and we're going to overcome this together. Just believe in me. That is what he would be saying. So John has corrected a heresy. He's basically saying what a Christian looks like. God is light. God is love. The end of, uh, beginning of chapter 5, it's like and God is light. So translate each of those is Jesus is light. Jesus is love. Jesus is light. Second part, the summary of the whole book, really, is keep God, God. And I think we've got a comma in there, which might make it a little bit more sense. Uh, Nothing should take the place of God in our lives. When it does, it's just not so good for us. And so the whole of this letter has been, hey, this is who Jesus is, and God is love, so love him. And have a passionate devotion for him. And if you love him, you'll obey him. And he concludes it. So the book end is this is who Jesus is. And the other end is keep God, God in your life. Now that you know that Jesus is the true God, the life-giving, life-saving, sacrificial God, keep him as your focus and your source. So I'm going to read verses 13 to 21 to you now. Listen out for how he's basically saying, keep God as your focus and your source. I'm actually going to hit verse 22 as well. There isn't verse 22, I'm not. I'm going to read 13 to 21. The summary of all that he's written, he says, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There's a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin. And there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was, excuse me, the one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that so we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Keep God, God. He is worthy of it all. He is the focus and the source of light, love, life. And he says it another way. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. The most important thing in life is knowing Jesus and cultivating a rich relationship with him that changes us. 
That's the most important thing. No matter what's in your bank account, no matter what you're afraid of in the future, your relationship with Christ has the last word on your life. Verse 13 here is an assurance of salvation. There's lots of assurances of salvation throughout this book, and it's all about faith in Jesus. It says, I write these things to you who believe, verse 13, in the name of the Son of God, so you may know you have eternal life. And it's knowing you have eternal life. It's not just a vague hope. We found out in last week's message, uh, assurance of salvation is a settled state, a peaceful state of mind and being. Like we know who our dad is. It's not an arrogant assumption. He's saying this is everlasting life. Knowing him, the most important thing is cultivating a deep relationship with him. But see what else it does. God isn't a distant God. It says, like, move to him. You're not cultivating this relationship from afar. Enjoy his presence. Go into his presence. And so as we cultivate that relationship with him, we start to love God more. We desire to serve God more. And the outworking of that is we love other people more. And we desire to serve them more. We all know that without God, we're completely stuffed. We all know that we are the worst sinner that we know. And we become a whole lot less concerned with what we look like, what other people say, but we want to love and serve others. So verse 14, listen to how you're approaching God if you have faith. It says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. And that's life in Jesus. And hear this, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. What this means is the more you love God, the more time you spend in his presence, the more you will start to understand his will, the more you'll start to pray for things that God wants to happen. Like, God, help me become more like your son, Jesus. Show me who to love today. Show me who to serve today. Convict me of of what I've done wrong and who I need to make amends with. And as we're praying in line with God's will, he hears it. We have the assurance as a son speaking to a dad, he hears us. And it moves us to love and serve others. Verse 16, it's all about people sinning. And it says, not that sin, but there is a sin that leads to death. The context of the letter People were committing heresy. They're saying Jesus was kind of a phony, a demigod. This is really how you get everlasting life. And John said they're antichrists, and they've led others astray, and they've left the church. The sin that is unforgivable is apostasy. The sin that is unforgivable is not putting God as your God, not putting Jesus as your God, the center point of your life. That is what is unforgivable. He's saying, don't bother praying about those who've already left. Like, take care of yourselves and pray for other people in your midst. Love one another. And we can have this confidence as Christ is our representative. Not Adam anymore, but Christ. And it moves us to pray for others. Verse 16, uh, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. How often do we pray for one another? How often are we aware of someone's need and and we pray for them? 
It's a really good thing to pray behind people's backs. Wherever you are getting lunch later on, if you see someone in the queue, if you see Gregory and I losing our minds in some checkout, just pray for us. If you love someone, you'll pray for them. And God will hear it because you're his child. It's a way you can serve him. Knowing Jesus looks like this. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus. He is the true God and eternal life. If you learn anything from the last five weeks, know this. Jesus is the true God and eternal life. If you have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. And yes, it can give us an assurance of salvation, like this settled, peaceful state of mind and being. But at the same time, it creates this discomfort. Like there is no third way. So yes, you can pray behind people's backs wherever you get lunch. There's people in that building who do not yet know that Jesus is life. They don't know how much fun it is to run with three chihuahuas and three children around some woods when there's no ice. They're used to running on ice, slipping over, and hurting themselves. And I promise you from my own life, you're so much more free in a relationship with God. We're not in a relationship with God. We're a slave to something. Something is, is illegitimately keeping us under control. We're being overcome by something. But we're not spoiling people's party when we share Christ with them. We're giving them true freedom, true love, true light, true life. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. When John says, keep yourself from idols, he's speaking to believers still. So it's one, it's understanding that Jesus is a true God, but it's really easy to lose our focus on that. So many things that we put in our lives that become the focus and source of our life. Some of us, it's people. Some of us, it's possessions. Some of us, it's power. I can't think of any more P's. Uh, But there's many different things that grabs our attention, that defines us, other than being Jesus, who is our God. And so I'm going to pray for us now. In, that, in this prayer, I'm going to do a short, short moment of silence. I'm going to ask for God to reveal an area of your life that you are under control of, that you don't need to be, that you can realign to God being your source. He's not mad at you. He loves you. He wants the very, very best for you. So I'm going to pray for that now. And then I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are life. You are love. You are the source of everything good. Help us to continue to be the focus of our lives, not just here on a Sunday, but throughout the week. And Father, as we spend time with you, help us to have this attitude to prayer that we are building your kingdom. You are not there to answer prayer that builds 
our kingdom. Keep us from making you in our own image. Help us to love others and serve others. Father, as we sit here now, we know that you uh, can communicate with us. This moment of silence, I pray that you'll just through uh, imagination or images, allow people here to understand what has taken precedence in their life. Doesn't mean they need to rid it necessarily, but we should seek first the kingdom of God. You should be our all in all. So, Father, if it's people that are taking precedence, help us to pursue people for your kingdom's sake. If it's career success that's taking precedence, help us to pursue career success for your kingdom's sake. So, Father, in these few moments of silence, will you speak to us? Father, forgive us. We're so quick to replace you. We're so quick to build our own kingdom and not yours. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that we have life in his name. Amen.